Hello, good evening, and welcome to a discussion tonight, which we will be speaking uh, as a follow-up on last week's discussion on global value chains. So this week, uh, our main topic, our topic of discussion is how Africa is involved in global value chains. And we speak on two aspects of this, uh, what, sort, what sort of inputs or outputs that Africa contribute to global value chains. And then second, how well or not well is Africa doing in its role in the global religion? If you haven't listened to our previous discussion, it will help for you to listen to it because this is a follow-up discussion to that. We'll put a link uh, to that discussion, uh, which you can find and listen to, and then you can follow up on the discussion with this uh, second part. So with me tonight is Ayanda. She will introduce herself and then she will kick off discussing the topic. Ayanda, welcome, and it's very nice to have you back. Thank you so much, Christine. It's good to be back and good evening to all of our listeners. So I'll just jump right in. Uh, for the benefit of those that hadn't been there last week, um, one of the main reasons why we're back to talk about global value chains, especially within the African context, is because last week we noted how global value chains are one of the key um, ways in which governments are actually able to improve the lives of their citizens. And it's one of the main ways through which um, African governments are actually able to increase their economic outputs per year. Um, in 2017, there was a, a report prepared by the World Bank and the World Trade Organization, as well as their partners, where they were looking at global value chain development and how global value chains actually contribute to the development of nations. And in this report, it was found that global value chains actually account for about two thirds of global trade in value added items. And for those that don't understand what value-added items are, it's uh, basically when a country imports a raw material such as copper and they add value to that copper by changing the copper ore into actual copper wire. And so the main issue that then comes up when it comes to Africa and um, tapping into this value chain and the trade within global value chains is that Africa is unfortunately not reaping much of the rewards of these international chains because of issues surrounding things like interregional trade. When we now look at our interregional trade routes and we're looking at our um, interregional trade agreements, we actually find that um, in Africa, the way that we have been doing trade within the continent is actually what is contributing to the low performance in um in, in uh, actually being part of um, global value chains. Um, one example that I can give is looking at West Africa and the oil and our main oil exporters, that would be Congo, Cameroon, and Gabon in, in the, that area. And it was found that even though they're exporting large amounts of oil, there is no foreign um, value added to these exports. So what they're actually doing is exporting the crude oil but there are no systems within um, those countries that actually allow them to refine that oil into, you know, your diesels, your petrols, your engine oils. And because of this, even though oil is a high 
demand commodity. And if we remember 2020 at the beginning, or I think June is a, a better estimation, where there was that issue with the oil prices. Oil is a very high demand commodity and it's a high value commodity. However, if you are not actually able to exploit all of the other byproducts of oil, you are actually worse off as a nation. And with these uh, African oil exporters, because they're not actually adding any value to the oil that they're exporting, um, they end up doing worse off to other non-oil resource intensive countries. So non-oil resource intensive countries, we're not looking at people who are exporting your minerals, we're looking at people that are exporting crops. And it's been found to um, that where there is more crop exports in a country, even though a crop has a much lower value, um, those countries are actually doing much better than um, our oil exporters. And um, Christine, I don't know if you want to jump in before I move on to my next point. Yes, I understand. And I think to add on to what you've said is that the whole concept of like what you what you contribute to the global value chain, uh, there has been a debate on whether you're able to climb up the ladder. So let's say, for instance, what has been happening is that uh, globally there has been there has been a move uh, in the past several years where what happened is that there was outsourcing, there was offshoring. Where what would happen is that a company would look at uh, labor-intensive activities where you require a lot of skills and uh, very uh, labor-intensive kind of work. And then what they would do is that they would look like at developing countries where there's cheap labor available. So they end up paying low wages for this very labor-intensive work. So to add on to what Ayanda is saying uh, in terms of like uh, the oil exporters now when you look at also on the service side even if you're offering a service which is very labor intensive you will employ employ so many casuals yet the labor the wage that's paid is very low so you find even these developing countries as much as you say that we have the workforce in africa thing is that if the person a person is targeting you to export to you labor intensive work which are only earns low wages then the outcome will always be that there's very low wage that's being paid in the market. And then um, there's been several observations also, uh, for instance, what role Africa is playing. There's also like the agricultural products, which I under you've mentioned, but uh, contrasting it to the oil exporters. Uh, and then in that case, even as much as the agricultural producers and exporters are doing better than maybe the oil exporters, that still means as long as the what's being exported is the raw agricultural product without maybe a bit of manufacturing. Yet when you compare it to the chain globally, then again your return will not be too well. It will not be too good. And then uh, when you look at also some of the things that that you need to look at when you're considering then what becomes of a situation where where you find yourself only producing raw materials or only offering the very labor intensive and get very cheap labor. That has been a question on whether someone can actually break themselves off this uh, position you're in the global value chain and move upwards. 
but then in my in my opinion uh, and this also goes to like uh, like the oil exporters and all these other people who you're not producing a byproduct the, the solution there is that you need to offer something that's of value to the global value chain you need and and there are some things which i think going forward will be highlighting you know like something uh, some some things like uh, technology innovation and the thing to say is that you know you you don't need to be good at everything you just need to be good at one thing you know and you need not even uh be able to you know market and also be able to offer the tech and also to be able to offer you know like the mirrors and all these things but thing is that you can look at what you would be good at at this point which is of value and then really focus on that the good thing with africa is that we are resource rich like there, there are a lot of countries with very good resources and by this i mean like the minerals and within the manufacturing chains those uh, manufacturers who may not be africa will be looking for these resources so africa can leapfrog on that you can use what has come to you the demand that's come to you for these resources to seek out for things like technology transfer but uh, maybe i'm just getting ahead of myself i under here but that that's the whole thing even on this chain you don't need to be very good at everything but you actually need to be good because uh, or to give a good output that will earn you value in the global value chain remember yeah thank you christine and you you're very right about that because um looking at how we're i think we spoke about it last week if i'm not mistaken how we have the east asian tigers all they focused on was improving the tech side um being able to produce um radios and cell phones much better than the rest of the world i mean if we look at india at the service sector where india provides a lot of services in terms of your um call centers where uh, a person is calling from america because their iphone is giving them a problem but the person is assisting them is in india so it's not necessarily that you need to have a wide variety of um products that you're providing within the chain but if you're able to specialize on the basis of what your country is able to offer then you are able to actually be a a very big contributor within the global value chain and um speaking back to one of the issues that arises when it comes to africa's active participation within global value chain is the issue surrounding our institutions um if our listeners recall Last week we spoke about how a lot of global value chains are actually um conducted through transnational corporations or multinational corporations whichever is the easier word for you and because there are these multinational companies that actually come in to set up shop in these countries what is needed are very strong institutions and institutional measures so this is looking at things such as the rule of law and protection of property rights because what these transnational corporations are actually will actually first evaluate before setting shop in a country is whether if we were to actually set up a factory in for example zimbabwe would we be able to have ownership rights to that factory if anything was to happen to our workers what are the labor laws like if we were to 
um, produce a good that harms the people, what, what would the repercussions be? And a lot of the issues within Africa is the high corruption in a lot of African countries, which makes um, setting up uh, these um, factories and such things within those countries difficult. And bringing it even back to Zimbabwe, one of the other issues that then arises is the issue of ownership, where in some African nations, you need to have at least 50% indigenous ownership. And a lot of multinational corporations do not want to relinquish that ownership because it becomes very difficult for them to run their businesses. So when it comes to um, looking at factors such as that, as well as the weak institutions, and by weak institutions, we are talking about our court systems, we're talking about law enforcement systems. If it then becomes an issue where even if the multinational corporation is trying to enforce their rights because an institution is weak, they might not actually be able to do that. And it makes uh, a country less, um, well, it makes a multinational rather corporation less keen to um, actually engage certain countries to be part of those global value chains, even if that country is resource rich. Um, so there is a positive correlation that exists between GDP per capita and the quality of institutions within a, within a country. So this includes your uh, economic institutions, your legal institutions and your social institutions. And um, according to a uh, the World Bank's report of 2017, where African countries have a relatively low GDP, their institutions are often viewed as weak. And because of that, um, just, um, going back to the outlining that I get, uh, that I gave, what is then needed is for Africans to, for African nations rather, to strengthen their institutions so as to attract a lot more foreign direct investment. Because a lot of the African countries that are doing better have a much higher um, foreign direct investment. And um, according to the World Bank reports that I referenced earlier, to actually address um, and to actually try and reform these institutions is to the the what is then needed by the African countries is for them to find ways of better protecting the rights of foreign owned companies and to increase enforceability of contracts within those countries. And uh, one of the other issues that would be there is an issue of transparency, because if we look at a lot of the laws within the African continent, they are very um, stringent. They're very yeah, they're, they're not very flexible laws. And there is a lot of red tape that exists within um, especially commercial transactions. So for there to be an increase in investment and an increase in participation in global value chains, what African governments really need to try to find a way of doing is to um, reduce the amount of red tape that actually exists, is to increase our anti-corruption measures and to allow better transport, um, sorry, better customs processing systems to be in place because one of the main issues that is there in Africa is when it comes to our inland transport systems and um, with a lot of uh, intra-African trade that intra-African trade is conducted through road and rail networks however the issue is that the infrastructure within these road and rail networks are dilapidating 
by the day. And it has been estimated that if we are actually able to improve these inland transit systems, we'll be able to increase our exports as a continent by 7%. And by increasing um, those exports by 7%, we can then reduce our trade costs by 1%, which would mean that as a continent as a whole, we are better we would be in a better position rather to actively participate within global value chains. Christine, before I get ahead of myself. <laughs> okay, uh, Ayanda, thanks for that. And I would also like to add to what you're saying uh, on the institutional side. There's also lack of planning on how to integrate to global value chains. For instance, even scaling up. Uh, so even the domestic, uh, the domestic players, whether it's export processing zones or maybe the people who are trying to establish themselves locally for uh, to offer services, then there's lack of a plan, a clear plan on how can we upscale this so that maybe we push ourselves forward as, for instance, Uganda, so that we may be known uh, as the hub, for instance, for financial services. There's, there's no clear plan uh, for most African countries on how to get there. But then also the other thing, uh, a few other things that um, you have mentioned, which I would also like to highlight is the cost of doing business in Africa can be, and you, our listeners could look to one of the discussions that we had uh, a while back, where we are speaking about the cost of doing business in Africa, especially looking at uh, Kenya and, and Namibia and South Africa. And you will see the clear differences between someone who is trying to raise capital in this country versus someone who is trying to raise capital in the other country, you realize the cost of doing business um, is quite high. And the cost of doing business is what Ayanda has already mentioned, you know, the red tape, the regulations, the corruption, the lack of transparency. But then also in addition to that, there is lack of market intelligence, you know, like in terms of like there's no, uh, there, there is, there are enough researchers within Africa. And you can attest to that by like uh, looking at people who are doing their post-grad uh, studies. There's a lot of research happening in Africa, but this market research and market intelligence that's gathered, for some reason, it's not able to be pushed down to the users of it in an effective way. So even as much as someone is maybe doing a little production, then they may not be able to be quite aware of what the market really needs or how even to um, link up with the chain. And also consider, and we've had this discussion in the past here about the commercial digital free trade area. So the commercial digital free trade area has been ongoing, but how many people are aware of this? So there's, there's a lot of things going on, but there's that market intelligence and market and business information going down to the users. That seems to, uh, to, be, to be a problem. And then uh, I would also like to highlight that uh, infrastructure, and uh, I ended up spoken about the roads, uh, but also infrastructure in terms of like the tech infrastructure. Think, for instance, of like uh, the fiber optic cables to be able to like get fast internet across. That is really, really lacking in some countries. And some countries are doing much better than others. Like, you know, Tralak has reported countries like Ethiopia, Mauritius, Botswana, Kenya, uh, South Africa are really uh, breaking into and trying to tap into the global value chains through pushing the innovation and uh, ways of linking up. 
but still there's there's a lot of lack of uh, development on the tech side. And but then I would also like to uh, say that when we say these things, the reason why it's important is that what has happened is that and anyone who was keen in the year 2020 when there was a COVID pandemic uh, at its um, top most or at the most alarming point is that we realized how much we over rely on external players. Now, there's so much over reliance on what other countries are doing so that it, it's like importing that protective wear and get we we were shocked because for the first time we could not just import things from across borders and get them as quickly and also everyone else was trying to cater to their own citizens so you find for the first time you realize we really over rely on external players and this is the good thing about the global valuations is that there are these things being done by the best people in the world but then also at the same time, if you're doing nothing, what happens is that you over-rely on the other person. And now what happens is that there's a global shock when some, something like COVID happens and you realize how little you can cater to yourself. And I think that was a wake-up call that uh, should be taken into account into looking at how you can, you know, the African countries should look at how they should uh, reevaluate this, their establishment within the global models and the economic models that they're using for the global trade. Uh, and then I end, I think uh, I'll let you like uh, carry on from here. Uh, then afterwards, I'll give more thoughts on like some of the ways uh, that Africa could improve its position, Ayanda. Thank you so much, Christine. And it is true because the one disadvantage of global value chains is these shocks and if you are relying on um, income from that value chain um, it becomes very difficult for you to find substitute products but um, how a lot of African governments are then trying to harness and trying to um, begin to build the necessary infrastructure, the necessary networks to actually um, actively participate in these value chains is by trying to revive our national and regional um, level industrialization. So we have three major tra trading blocks being the common market for Eastern, for Eastern and Southern Africa, that's COMESA, the East African community, and um, the Southern African development community. So these three trading blocks have then developed a tripartite free trade agreement whereby they are trying to boost trade within the African region. The successes of this tripartite agreement are are debatable. However, it is commendable to note that um, by trying to focus on regional and national integration, what they're actually improving on is the industrialization of the African continent, um, which is the upscaling that um, Christine was talking about, that instead of us only focusing on exporting rice or cassava, what we will then be focusing on, or rather, let me not use agricultural products, rather than exporting the iron ore, we can then, by, in, for, by increasing intra-African trade and inter-regional trade, we can then go and invest more into developing um, 
rather into research and development to try and actually upscale those goods like i was talking about melting down that ore to make if it's your spades if it's your um your different kinds of metals however this is a very difficult thing to do considering how with most african countries we are looking at smallholder and labor intensive um activities as christine noted so when it then comes to upgrading technology there is a lot of work that then needs to be done by african governments to improve certain infrastructure and to try to actually tap into our or rather the global um to try and tap into the global knowledge base when it then comes to uh, manufacturing certain things because as was noted um, earlier on in our discussion what becomes difficult is that there's certain nations that have become key players in in developing certain things so for example with china even though china develops ballpoint pens the actual ballpoint is in Ported from Switzerland. So even if we as Africans then want to tap into that um, into that uh, sector, we would then have to find a way to see where we fit in that chain, whether it's to produce the barrels or to produce the ink. Um, and one of the issues that's there is that um, Africa still remains such a small actor because even looking back at global trade as a whole, Africa only contributes about 3% of um, global trade in intermediate goods. And this is because um, Africans tend to enter the value chain right at the very beginning where the chain is still very low value as opposed to closer to the end where the goods that are being produced are at a much higher value. Um, however, it's not all doom and gloom because Morocco has been one of the countries that have been able to integrate pretty well into the automotive industry value chain. Um, they have set up a facility, a future facility in 2019. And overall, this has increased their participation within the automotive industry. Another uh, country that has its foot in the door where it, when it comes to being part of the assembly of the of automotive um, vehicles in South Africa. And this has allowed them to increase the GDP per capita and to also address um, internal issues such as poverty and inequality. And then at a regional level, um, it's been identified that the tr the three trading blocks that I mentioned earlier have the potential to form a, what is known as a regional value chain in leather. So what this then means is that if these three trading blocks were to work together, they would contribute around 98% of exports of copper and 99% of imports of copper and copper-related products because of the existing infrastructure. So as Christine noted before, what then needs to be done by a lot of African governments is for them to actually sit down and see what um, their core exports or their core um, manufacturing activities are and see the best way to um, harness that. Um, like the example of the leather industry that I've just given, because of the number of... Um, 
firms that actually operate within that industry, within the Southern African region especially, um, if we are able to harness that well enough, we would then be able to um, produce a lot more leather goods. So we're talking about our leather shoes, our leather handbags and our belts, which would be goods that are on the later end of the value chain, which are high value goods. And there would be a much uh, bigger benefit overall for the African countries that are participating in that value chain. Um, and over and above that, the African continental free trade area that um, has come into play is also a great enabler to achieve this because it would then mean that African countries are able to streamline um, participation within global, global value chains on a continental level as opposed to a sub-regional level. And this mobilization would then allow for a lot more innovation to exist because the one thing that cannot be ignored is that as Africans, we are innovative. We have the ideas, we have the, the human capital that are able to develop faster and more efficient ways of production. And if we're able to actually tap into that and tap into um, the 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 uh global value chains we are then able to improve the overall uh, participation of the african continent within these um value chains christine uh thanks ayanda and uh actually what you said is the, the solutions that i also had in mind you know like using the regional blocks then africa continental free trade area and especially when you think of the africa continental free trade area it gives a sizable market so now what happens is that as a single market, uh, even the negotiating power when you're like entering into agreements, when it comes to things like um, uh, even uh, like the digital the digital market, you're able to get better uh, better outcome by having a single digital market within Africa. And then also the other thing to add is that some potential areas that Africa could explore is one tourism which you could uh, Africa could really exploit and tap into it uh, because tourism can generate a lot of uh, foreign income for countries and that's important for the growth so when you look at uh, most African countries there's wildlife uh, some countries like South Africa uh, table mountains you know and there's different African countries have various things that are very big tourist attractions, you know, like Victoria Falls. When you look at some of the things that uh, someone would want to come and, you know, visit, we are not lacking in them. So we could exploit tourism. And then there's also transportation and logistics across Africa. As we've been highlighting, uh, one of the difficulties uh, of trade across Africa is the transport uh, side and the logistics side. So a solution that's maybe Africa grown that is able to move goods across Africa so that if this is figured out like uh, from Cape Town to Cairo, that there is someone who has figured out the networks within which you can offer cheap, quick and easy transport, then that could be a really key thing to integrate into the global value chain. Uh, but I think overall, if you were to answer the questions that we began with, uh, how is Africa involved in global value chains? It's it's involved, but at a very small, uh, at a very small scale, 
And it's, it's largely at the very beginning of the value chain. And that being the case, the return is really not that high. Uh, but our country is doing really badly. No, as I pointed out, there's like Morocco and South Africa, which are doing pretty well, and Mauritius as well. And then um, should Africa be concerned about this? Uh, definitely, because we see the outcome of not uh, getting into the global value chains is that it affects your development. Like we cannot afford to just be inward looking and not be aware of what's going on globally when it comes to global change. Uh, and then maybe the last thing is for also African countries to consider, you know, like over relying on on external players also also as an impact when there is like global shock. But then also at the same time, the good thing with global value chains is that you don't have to invent the wheel. So you can literally just use what's available. Uh, like you can get transfer of technology as African countries. You can focus on what you're good at. As Ayanda was saying, that it will be difficult for you to try to enter into a market that's already well known to be a market that if you need this, you go to Germany for German cars. You know, like now for an African country to decide that they want to compete with that, it may be difficult. But I think there are still solutions and ways to go about it, and especially because it's a huge, huge unexploited uh, market within Africa. So I end those are my closing remarks. If you could go on and then also make your closing remarks. Thank you so much, Christine. And I agree completely. There are a lot of advantages to being a player in a global value chain. I mean, even going back to what you were saying about how Africa is not short of labor and there is a need for a lot of African governments to try and tap into that because there really is no need to reinvent the wheel. If we're able to actually upskill our, um, our domestic labor to and actually start working more into the services environment where we are providing, you know, tech support and um, similar services to the rest of the world. I don't see why we would not be um, part of, or, or rather why we, we should not be a larger player within the global value chain. And um, I think one of the major things that we need to first address before even getting to the global value chain is how we're doing our interregional trade and our um, bilateral trade agreements. If we're able to improve our institutions between ourselves and overall improve the way that we do business, the ease of doing business that you were talking about, um, I believe that Africa would actually be able to increase the capabilities and the capacities that that we have you know we would be able to exploit economies of scale and a lot of the problems that we face today might be better addressed because we would be in a uh, better financial position to do so however um with the introduction of the Africa free trade area and the potential that this free trade area actually has in addressing all of these issues that we identified today, it would be interesting to see if um, in the long run, the Africa free trade area is actually able to equip um, African nations to be uh, one of the bigger participants in the global value chains, especially when we're looking at our um, high value goods. 
and it's something that I know I will be watching with keen interest and I'm hoping that it would also allow more multinational corporations and foreign direct investment to be um, brought into the continent um, but I say that with the disclaimer that it's not for them to just want to come in and exploit but it's with the hope that uh, multinational companies would be willing to come in and upskill um, African nations to um, at least allow them to get the necessary technology, get the necessary knowledge to uh, work within the continent. Um, and yeah, I think this has been a, a very interesting discussion and I'm glad that I've been invited back. Christine? And it's always nice to have you, and it was a very good discussion, Audrey. I think uh, as you're speaking about the multinationals and what role they can play, we will pick up this discussion next week when we'll be looking at considerations um, that should be made in establishing and anchoring Africa's role in the global value chains. So some of these considerations and concerns, you know, like how much should like multinationals um, be allowed to have the world role to play uh, in African countries, what about domestic, uh, the domestic businesses and all these considerations. But it has been really nice having you, Ayanda, and everyone who has been listening. We hope that you profit from these discussions and our whole aim is to share ideas and knowledge uh, across Africa from us tonight. It's goodbye from us. Thank you. <laughs>